Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with some samples. You guys, allergies suck and it really sucks when my nose is all stuffed up. I can't do anything. I can't even enjoy dinner because I can't taste my food. I can't work out because I feel so tired and I'm out of it and just forget getting ahead on recording the show because I sound so stuffy. But luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've honestly been using Claritin D for my allergies forever and it's always been my go-to. I know when spring hits, I won't have to worry about my eyes watering like crazy and my nose running like a faucet. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You guys need to check out June's journey. Engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Where will each new chapter take you? Discover hidden clues and solve a riveting murder mystery. Engage with the brain-teasing enigmas of the roaring 20s and delve into June's quest to reveal a scandalous family secret. You guys, I love getting lost in this world. It's so beautiful and engaging, and I can't wait to unwind at the end of the day on the couch with this game and a cup of tea. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey everybody, welcome back to our podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. How's everyone doing this week? I hope you guys are all doing good. Another bonus Patreon episode is coming out this week, so stay tuned for that. Again, that's for our Patreon and Apple subscribers, so if you want to check that out, go ahead and do so. All right, let's jump into your 10 seconds. I'm currently trying to convince Peyton to sell one of our cars and get a old Bronco. It's not going very well, but I'll get there. Just a little bit of time, a little bit of smoozing, <laughs> little by little. I told him, go ahead, sell your truck, and we can get a nope. Bronco. See, we sell Peyton's car. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, it's okay, though. Then I have to drive the Bronco. I'd drive you around anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm working on, just in case anyone was curious. As well, my fantasy team for football is, I never do good. And let me tell everyone why I don't do good. It's not that I'm bad at fantasy football or that I am dumb. It's that I just pick my favorite players instead of picking who I should pick. But I think that would mean you're bad at fantasy that's football. That's just the fun of it to me is I'm like, I just, fingers crossed, please do good instead of just picking someone I know that's going to do good consistently every week. So hanging in there, I'm about middle of the pack right now. I think some... I think some magic will happen it's we still got a lot of weeks left you know one time in high school my dad was like oh we're doing fantasy football do you want to join and I was like I don't watch football by the way I said sure and then I got my thing and I googled every mascot and picked them by what mascot I thought was better how'd you do awful okay. I mean I don't think I got last but my dad was like how did you come up with these every mascot's <laughs> hilarious I said I just picked my favorite mascot Okay, so should we just get right into the story today? Let's do it. Our case sources 
our stacker.com on the case with Paula's on, Mercury News, sfgate.com, eastbaytimes.com, losangelestimes.com, inquisitor.com, find a grave, fullhousemagazine.co, my life of crime, Google Maps for Garrett, truepeoplesearch.com, and the United States Census Bureau. Our episode today begins on August 9th, 1976, when a young girl named Jessica Ann McHenry was born in Livermore, California. Now, Livermore is in the East Bay in the San Francisco, Oakland region. Jessica was the oldest child to her mother, Tammy Dunn, but her younger brother, Nick McHenry, was born only a year after her, so they ended up being really close as they grew up together. According to Tammy, Jessica was soft-spoken and always a good girl. As she got older, Jessica was known for her maturity and responsible behavior. She was kind of that child every parent wanted to raise. She never caused problems or gave any reason for her mother to worry about her. When she wasn't playing with Nick or enjoying time with her family, young Jessica loved learning about fashion and obsessing over boy bands. No source specifically listed what boy bands Jessica loved in her preteens, but based on the fact that it's roughly the late 80s, early 90s, there was a couple big ones she could have loved. We have New Kids on the Block, who peaked around 1989 when Jessica was 12 or 13 years old, or High Five, an R&B group who hit number one in 1991. And I know when we think 90s boy bands, we typically go for the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC, but both of those boy bands wouldn't become super popular until after our story takes place today. Mm -hmm. I feel like late 90s. Yeah, they were in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. My first concert was actually Backstreet Boys. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Eventually, around this time, Jessica's mother, Tammy, had two other children. And because Jessica was much older than them, she actually stepped up to help take care of them and act as almost a second mother to them. When Jessica turned 14 years old and became a student at Granada High School, she was popular because of her kindness. She was really blossoming. And according to the Palazon show that covered this case, Jessica was becoming a talented musician. Life was going well for Jessica and her family at this point. I think making that transition from middle school to high school can be tough, but also exhilarating as it's a chance for you to start discovering who you are. And this is exactly what Jessica was doing. She was so young and had so much brightness in her future. But as we know, this podcast doesn't usually come with happy endings. We have to fight to find the light in these stories, to remember the victim for who they were and are, and today we're going to do just that. Tuesday, June 11th, 1991, 14-year-old Jessica McHenry attends the last day of regular class schedule for the school year at Granada High School. So school let out early this Tuesday because final exams would begin the next day, and at the end of the week, summer break would start. I remember the craziness of the last week of school before summer, the schedules changing because of exams, literally this exact thing. Oh, I always loved the last week of school. Did you like, so you would have your half day and then do exams like Jessica's doing in our story, but then on the last day, did you have exams or was there this like random floating day? Yeah, it was usually a random floating day. I mean, I think sometimes I would have a test, but nah, usually it was random floating days. That's how I feel. I, I honestly felt like as soon as exams were over, school was pointless. Most teachers were just mm-hmm. like, just hang out, just don't cause a problem. So that morning, Jessica's mom drops her off at school at 7.30 a.m. And around 12 p.m., school is let out. 
Friends say that Jessica signed their yearbooks that day before she started walking home from school around 12.15 p.m. Now, sources don't clarify, but either on her way home or before she even left the high school, Jessica realized she's forgotten her house keys from that morning. This means even if she does walk home, she won't be able to get inside the house until her mom gets home from work that day. Because of this, Jessica McHenry finds a payphone to call her mom's work number. Remember, this is 1991, so Jessica nor her mother have cell phones. Jessica had to find a payphone and leave a message on her mother's work phone when Tammy didn't answer. The message Jessica left her mother was that she wasn't going to walk straight home anymore because she didn't have her house key. She told her mom that she was just going to walk to a friend's house instead and wait for her to get home. It's never been disclosed who that friend is that Jessica was talking about or where she or he lived. But in an interview with Paula Zan, Tammy claimed that she did know the friend well and wasn't worried when she found out that that's where Jessica was going to go instead. After leaving the message, several students physically see Jessica leave the payphone and begin walking away. So this information really makes me think the payphone was literally in the high school or right out front of it. Technically, this would make sense because the school would want a way for students to be able to call their family. So I think Jessica called her mom's work phone from school property. Mm. So now I know it's only 1991, but Garrett... Guess what this school has? Pickleball court, yeah. Oh, shut up. No, guess really what it has. A pickleball court. Okay, no. There are not many, but the school had some security cameras. Oh. <laughs> you did. I you thought, were not picking up no, what I was throwing down. I thought down. for sure you were going to say pickleball court, <laughs> so I'm in the wrong state of mind, and I need to get back into crew, true crime Garrett. Okay, are you there? Yes. Okay, okay, wait, hold on. Let me try again. Security cameras. Yes, they have security cameras installed back in 1991. And one Let's of go. these cameras catches Jessica walking away from the school and making a right turn out of the school parking lot. The road she turned onto is called Wall Street. Now, from 12.15 p.m. to 1.45 p.m., we, the media and public, do not know where Jessica was. I'm guessing the police likely know her movements during this time, but haven't made it public. It seems from all interviews and stories that no one is too hung up on this time period, which is what led me to think that police know this, but it doesn't really matter. I'm assuming maybe Jessica made it to the nearby friend's house and police have kept it quiet to keep the friend out of the media. Mm-hmm. Either way, we don't know where Jessica is between 12.15 and 1.45 p.m., but we're assuming she's safe. Around 1.45 p.m., a classmate of Jessica's that lives on College Avenue, another street near the school in Livermore, is watching TV when she notices something out of her living room window. It's a young girl walking down the street. The classmate looks closer and recognizes that the young girl walking down the road is actually Jessica McHenry. Again, I have no information as to where Jessica was walking to or from from this point. Was she walking home from the friend's house? Was she walking to the friend's house after being somewhere else? We don't know. Is this after she had called her mom? Yes. Okay. And I also don't know what time Jessica's mom was due home from work that day because that would definitely help us clear up this timeline. I assume six o'clock. Yeah, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. If we knew what time Tammy was coming home from work, then we might have a better idea what Jessica was doing walking outside this person's house at this point. But I guess it's just not necessary 
to be released to the public, Mm -hmm. which technically it isn't. Either way, we just know that Jessica McHenry is seen by a classmate walking down College Avenue around 1.45 p.m. And unbeknownst to this classmate, Jessica, or anyone involved in this story, this is reportedly the last time Jessica would ever be seen alive again. On June 11th, 1991, around 7 p.m., so later that day, Jessica's mom is worried sick. She has been looking for her daughter, but no one knows where Jessica is. She's called friends, the school, but by all accounts, it appears that Jessica just up and vanished while walking through town in broad daylight. can never imagine that feeling. Tammy frantically calls 911 after trying her best to track down Jessica on her own. It was now 7 p.m., and it seems like no one had seen her since that afternoon between 1 and 2 p.m., we know the last time she was seen was by her that classmate yes. walking outside her home, but her mom doesn't know that yet. Tammy Dunn gets in touch with police and tells them what is happening, that her 14-year-old daughter, Jessica McHenry, was missing. But once Tammy begins talking to police, her calls get transferred. It almost seems like no one is hearing what she is saying. No one is asking follow-up questions. Finally, Tammy begins speaking to higher-ups who immediately ask her if Jessica has any dental records. Now, this alarms Tammy because she doesn't feel like jumping immediately to dental records is the way to go about a missing child. Everything about this procedure seems off. It's almost Mm. like everyone she's talking to knows something she doesn't. Worried, anxious, and now a little angry, Tammy demands to know what is going on. I'm confused. Police don't want to worry her or make things worse, but this isn't a typical missing persons report. Also, like, worry her. It's She's already your, worried. Yeah, your daughter's missing. You gotta, I think he's got to tell them everything, right? Right. So usually when a child goes missing, the child is missing. But unlike every other case, police fear they have already found 14-year-old Jessica McHenry. They had found her three hours before Tammy even called and reported her missing. They just needed to make a positive identification. Because what are the chances that around 4 p.m. that day, two men had stumbled upon the body of a teenage girl, and now at 7 p.m., a mother is calling to report her 14-year-old daughter missing? Nobody's seeing her for hours. That never happens. It never happens. And police don't want to tell Tammy, well, we already found a teenage girl's body in case it's not her daughter. But also, what are the chances? So they're like, we need your daughter's dental records right now to make this identification. So earlier that day, long before Tammy became worried about Jessica's whereabouts, just before 4 Mm p.m., two truckers were driving on their way to a garbage dump when they saw smoke rising from the hillside just off of the road. So the truckers were out in more rural area and they were thinking maybe this was just a small fire. So they pulled into a turnout and climbed the hill on foot to try and put the fire out. Climbing towards the smoke, they eventually reached the crest of the hill where they stopped dead in their tracks. There was a small fire, but it wasn't accidental. The body of a young girl was burning on the side of the hill. She was half naked and unrecognizable as her hair and face were completely burned at this point. 
A park ranger in the Livermore area called 911 after this, telling police that he had two gentlemen come into the park and report that they found a dead body. They said they found a female body half naked, and according to them, she had just been set on fire and the body was smoldering. Once you try Bombas, you'll never look at socks the same way again. They've obsessed over details like foot-hugging honeycomb arch support, anti-blister tabs, and cushioned footbeds that feel like pillows for your feet. Let's not forget their super soft tees and tagless underwear. Bombas has a one purchased equals one donated mission. Every time you buy their socks, tees, or underwear, you also donate essential clothing to someone facing homelessness. Today, Bombas has donated over 100 million clothing items and counting. Bombas also offers a 100% happiness guarantee. So whether your socks disappear in the dryer or they become a snack for your dog, they will actually do anything possible to replace it or make it right. They've also got this new Merino wool blend socks that naturally wick moisture and help regulate temperatures perfect for that rainy or unpredictable spring weather. You guys, I love Bombas. I literally wear them all the time. I love that every purchase means a donation to someone in need. And it's not just their socks either. I also love their tees and underwear. They're so soft. They pay attention to details. I just really, really love Bombas. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash husband and use code husband for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash husband and use code husband at checkout. When we started podcasting, an online store was honestly the furthest thing from our minds. But now we're selling Murder With My Husband merch, and it's so easy because we use Shopify. And we really do. We use Shopify to sell our merch. I've been using Shopify for years, so it is absolutely amazing, easy to use, so intuitive. I love it. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And it's great because they grow with you. So whether you're just launching your shop or you've just hit a million orders, they are there every step of the way. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. We've actually tried a couple other platforms before we started using Shopify to sell our merch and Shopify is just the best. Um, I've been using it for years, like I've said, and I just love having control over it and being able to do what I want. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash husband now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash husband. Now, police responded to the horrific scene. At this point, no one even knew Jessica McHenry was missing. Mm -hmm. Jessica's burned body had been found on an isolated turnout south of Livermore in rural area. She was naked from the waist down. According to Paula's on show, the police described it as a challenging crime scene. They would mean this in every way, as it was very upsetting. Plus, there were very few clues and they didn't have any idea at first who the girl was. There was no purse or backpack or any ID. And according to Paula's on show, the only clue to the young girl's identity was a piece of jewelry she was wearing. She had a small necklace on, but besides that, there was no, no other type of identification on her. All police knew was that whoever had done this was a monster, an animal to leave a teenage girl like this. Yeah, absolutely disgusting. So they go back. Um, I'm sure they go and talk to the mom. 
to get the dental records. Yes. So back at home, you can imagine what Tammy Dunn is going through while waiting to hear if the body found earlier that day was her missing daughter, Jessica. Which is so hard because obviously you want your kid to be alive. But it's also hard because we have cases where the body is never found. And I mean, it's a it's a lose-lose situation. Always. No matter what. Always. It just sucks. Police let her know that they actually won't be able to make the dental record match until the next morning. So as you can imagine, Ugh. no one is sleeping that night. Even Nick McHenry, Jessica's younger brother, who was only 13 at the time, knew something was really, really wrong. The next morning, June 12th, 1991, literally the day after Jessica disappeared, mm -hmm. Tammy Dunn gets the news that no mother should ever have to hear. Her daughter's body had been found. Uh. Police sit Jessica's mother down in person and inform her of the discovery and also the condition the body had been found in. So not only do you have to hear that your daughter has been found, you have to hear that your daughter was found burning yeah. on a hill. They gave Tammy the necklace that Jessica had been wearing, which just confirmed to her that it wasn't a mistake. It must really have been Jessica. And in that moment, 13-year-old Nick in the other room heard his mother scream, and he too knew that everything about his life had just changed That's instantly. so, so sad. Shortly after the murder, the autopsy is performed, which reveals that Jessica died from, quote, asphyxiation due to strangulation, blunt force trauma, and she had been sexually assaulted. And according to sfgate.com, they had DNA, semen, which would be hard to argue if police were ever able to test it. There was an outrage felt across the department as more details come out. This crime hit everyone hard, including the police officers, many of whom had kids about that age. They were determined to catch whoever had done this. But what happened to Jessica? How does a girl go missing while walking down the road in broad daylight? Yeah. Investigators process the crime scene off Tesla Road, but they don't find anything definitive that they think is linked to the crime. For instance, there are crime scene photos of beer bottles and trash, but those could have easily been there from other people at other times. The police also take a helicopter to do an aerial search and investigation of the area, taking video, but they find nothing of significance in the area. Investigators did make some deductions, however. They believe, based on the evidence, that there was premeditation and that the killer had carefully planned his actions. Which is interesting because what are the chances that she doesn't have the keys that day? And that she's walking where she wouldn't normally yeah, be so, walking. Exactly. Yeah. It appeared that the killer had come to the crime scene equipped because it seems like he'd planned ahead in terms of how to enter the private property where Jessica's burned body was found. Police find a heavy duty lock for the gate to the private property that had been cut off which is how the killer gained access to the area where Jessica's smoldering body was found. Quote, he would have had to use bolt cutters. It was a very, very heavy and very thick lock designed mm. to keep people from getting onto the property. This meant that the killer came prepared. The police also are now interviewing a large number of people, including Jessica's friends and her classmates at Granada High School. This is how the police are able to come up with the timeline we talked about earlier, where Jessica was in the hours leading up to her death and also the map of her whereabouts. 
So according to police, Granada High School is located at 400 Wall Street in Livermore. Jessica was last seen by her classmate walking on College Avenue in Livermore. The closest point of College Avenue to Granada High School is just one mile away. So this tells us that Jessica has stayed in the area this whole day. Jessica's body was found off of a remote part of Tesla Avenue just outside Livermore. If you take College Avenue, the road Jessica was last seen on, and travel about 1.3 miles eastbound, it dead ends at the intersection with Tesla Avenue, the road Jessica's body would be found off of. That being said, this is likely the route the killer took. It seems like he somehow kidnapped her just five minutes after her classmate saw her out of the window. So she literally walks by her classmate's house. Five minutes later, someone drives up and kidnaps her off of the side of the road in broad daylight. That just seems so odd. Right. You can take Tesla Road pretty far out of civilization. And if you head southeast out of Livermore, it takes you past wineries and the area gets more rural. In looking at Google Maps, street view images, and comparing those with images from the crime scene, I'm fairly certain Jessica's murder took place where Tesla Road intersects a private dirt road called Coleman Road. And this spot on Tesla and Coleman is about 11.6 miles 23 minutes by car from Granada High School. So if you put two and two together, that's 23 minutes in the car with a kidnapper, an attacker, and a murderer. 23 minutes too long for an innocent little girl. It's also pretty quick. If you get what I'm saying, I feel like they kidnapped her. They sexually assaulted her. Drove 23 minutes first. They killed her. And then they found the body. Right. Three hours. Like, that's insane. And what for? Like, I know, I know we see this over and over again, and it'll never make sense, but... When it came down to suspects, police immediately became suspicious of the two men who initially found Jessica's body. Investigators had talked to other people traveling Tesla Road that day, and no one else noticed the smoke. So how did these truckers notice the smoke? Mm. According to Palazan's show, it led police to carefully examine everything those two men had said and done that day. Police believed the two were so calm and matter of fact when questioned that it was like it had been rehearsed. Police began to wonder if the two good Samaritans actually knew more than they were letting on. Bringing the men in, the police are trying to pinpoint their exact movements and exactly where and when they first saw the smoke. They want to recreate how long it took for the two men to get out of their truck and go on foot up to where they saw the body. They also drive the men back to the scene and take them through their story step by step. Likely they do this one at a time. It was the fact that one man said there were flames when they got to the body and the other man said there were no flames at all that didn't help the trucker's story. Police police recreated a fire to see how long the smoke was visible for from the road and it was roughly two minutes. This made detectives weary that the men would see the smoke during that two-minute window, get out, and head up without running into the actual killer. Oh yeah, this is all (laughs) bullcrap. Police also searched both men's homes and found a pair of bolt cutters in one of the garages. They forensically tested the cutters and determined that they weren't the ones used on the gate. This was a major blow for them because they were almost certain that they had the right suspects in the case. But because DNA testing for the semen wasn't possible yet, and there had been no other forensic evidence found, police could not determine with certainty that it was the truckers. And time began to go on without solid answers. The men 
men remained suspects as friends and family grieved Jessica's death and her memory lived on. Eventually, the case grew cold. Jessica's family did what they could to keep it in focus, handing out flyers and fighting for justice. Years passed. Wow. It seemed like everything police found was a dead end. The police truly just did not have enough until 1997, more than six years after the murder, when experts discovered they now have a way to test the DNA in Jessica's case. Okay, I mean, I'm not, I know you're about to tell me, but what's what's different that they can test now that they couldn't test before? They literally didn't have the technology to test that kind of DNA back then, but six years have passed, and in mm, those six okay. years, they've created the technology to test it. Got it. So, of course, police run to the lab with the trucker's DNA in hand. I mean, these were suspects, number one. They are ready to close this case, ready to finally have the last piece to the puzzle. But the results came back and showed that neither of the two men were a match to the semen found at the oh, crime scene. That seems scene. insane because I don't believe their story. Right. But if it's true, then sorry. After years of suspicion, the two truckers are officially cleared of any wrongdoing in the case. And once again, the case goes cold. So I think police are like, absolutely neither of these men did it because the semen found was found in Jessica's body. And the only DNA evidence they have is semen? Semen. There's and nothing else? No. And if it was her sexual assault, then th that is most likely the killer's DNA. I mean, 100% the killer's yes, DNA. Yes, yes. Seven more years would pass in the case without any movement, despite the fact that they can now test the DNA. Unless they have someone to test it against, it's a, it's a lost cause. Mm -hmm. Finally, in 2004, two detectives decide to reopen Jessica's cold case. It's now, like I said, 2004, and investigators are able to submit DNA from the case to the Department of Justice's CODIS system. Now, CODIS equals Combined DNA Index System and truly was a game changer in criminal justice history. As we know, CODIS was a database where everyone from all around could submit DNA and it could be ran against everyone else who had submitted other DNA, usually criminals. Waiting for CODIS results, cold case detectives were also struck by the cruelty and devastation of Jessica's murder. Seems like everyone who got involved in this case could barely stomach it. From Palazan's show, the police think about the crime psychologically and begin to believe it was, quote, someone who enjoyed causing pain. They could do it again and had probably done it again. Detectives scoured police reports for similar types of crimes in the area and one caught their attention. They found a report where a year before Jessica's murder, a girl had been attacked while she was walking towards Granada High School. This girl reported that a man pulled up in a truck and got out and asked her for directions. Next thing she knew, he grabbed her from behind. This 15-year-old girl fought for her life. She kicked, screamed. Oh, she knew she was going to die if she went inside of his truck. And somehow, this high school sophomore managed to escape and call the police. 18-year-old Gregory Sato was arrested and convicted for the attempted kidnapping of this other girl. Wait, how old? 18. He was 18, trying to kidnap a 15-year-old. And this is a year after Jessica had been killed? This is a year before she gets killed. So a year before Jessica gets killed, 
18-year-old okay. Gregory tries to kidnap a 15-year-old girl walking to Granada High School. So it would make him 19 years old. It would, yeah, yeah, would have made him 19 Roughly. years old. He was arrested and convicted. Six months later, he was released from prison. Therefore, oh he was gosh. a free man just weeks before Jessica was abducted. Police were convinced he was Jessica's murderer, as so many things between the two cases were so similar and everything seemed to fit. We're jumping into an ad right now, and I, no joke, I've had this question. I think about it all the time because I hate getting sick. Do you ever wonder why some people just don't get sick? One of the reasons you can help yourself from getting sick is Armra Colostrum. Okay, obviously I had no idea that colostrum is the first nutrition we receive in life and is an exclusive source of all the essential nutrients we need in order to thrive. So what's amazing is Armra colostrum is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 functional nutrients to strengthen your immune barriers, your body's inside suit of armor, and the first line of defense against harmful particles from the environment that can trigger inflammation and actually make you sick i'm not saying that it 100 works for everybody because obviously you never know but all i'm saying is i haven't been sick since i started taking it well and the science behind it is so cool armor colostrum strengthens all four layers of your gut wall where 80 percent of your immune cells are housed and it's a rich exclusive source of antibodies that optimize your immune defense during cold and flu season plus in clinical trials bovine colostrum was found to be at least three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing the flu we've worked out a special offer for our audience receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash husband or enter husband to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash husband. All right, you guys, Audible is your one-stop app for all things audio entertainment, from bestsellers and the latest releases to celebrity memoirs and gripping mysteries. Audible's library is brimming with countless genres to love and new discoveries to make. Dive into an unparalleled selection of audiobooks and explore exclusive Audible originals brought to life by top celebrities, renowned experts, and fresh voices. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog in including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Plus, you can enjoy unlimited access to a growing selection of audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts such as Murder With My Husband. Honestly, I love Audible because I will get into a story while I'm cleaning or driving. Sometimes I get so hooked listening to a story, I just end up finding new places to clean or just end up sitting in my car, which drives Garrett nuts, but I'm out there sitting there. New members can explore Audible free for 30 days. Also this March through May, the Audible sweep you into a realm of intrigue and suspense with their mystery and thriller collection, featuring exclusive new thrillers from their best-selling authors. Their selection is designed to captivate and surprise ensuring your heart rate remains as elevated as your imagination. New members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash MWMH or text MWMH to 500-500. That's audible.com slash MWMH or text MWMH to 500-500. Sato actually lived close to Jessica's home. The girl that was attacked 
actually lived on the same street that Jessica lived on, just around the corner from her. The detectives now investigate further and discover that Sato had moved to Springfield, Ohio. With help of local police in Ohio, the cold case team investigating Jessica's murder receives a DNA sample from Sato to compare to the DNA found in Jessica's case. They are thinking, no doubt, he's their guy. After waiting two to three weeks for the test to come back, Sato's DNA does not match Jessica's killer's DNA. The police are, quote, floored and deflated. Okay. How many times does it seem like this is it? We've got the person Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't end up being them. The cold case team described themselves as relentless from this point on. The California governor's office even announced a $50,000 reward for information in the case. Everyone wanted to close Jessica's case. And the effort paid off. Like so many other cases before, It was DNA that would finally crack Jessica's cold case. In October or November of 2006, 17 years later, Jessica's cold case team gets the news that the Department of Justice has finally gotten a hit through CODIS to the DNA from Jessica's case. It comes back to an individual named Derek Moncada. With no connection to Jessica, he hadn't been on the police's long list of suspects back when the crime happened. But again, Jessica's family had always said it had had to be a stranger who had done this because no one who knew Jessica would have ever done this to her. Derek Moncada had a lengthy criminal history involving violence to women and was ultimately serving time in prison for this when law enforcement received a DNA match to him 17 years after the crime. 17 years. That is such a long time. Derek D. Moncada had gone to various high schools, including Livermore High School, Granada High, where Jessica Mm. went, and three other schools, but he never graduated or earned a GED degree, essentially becoming a high school dropout. Moncada was 19 years old when Jessica was murdered. And despite the fact that they could have, he and Jessica did not overlap at Granada High School, considering the fact he dropped out. At the time of Jessica's murder, Moncada lived in Livermore and was working at a gas station in San Ramon, California. Despite his young age, Moncada had already amassed quite a rap sheet. He was, and would, be convicted for various offenses involving weapons, drugs, and resisting arrest, and for violence against women. He would serve time at Salinas Valley State Prison, California State Prison, and Kern Valley State Prison. One of these violent offenses that happened after Jessica's murder was almost like an enraged crime spree. It started back in 2003 when Moncada drove to his girlfriend's home and held a gun to her face, firing it near her head. He then left and drove to Sacramento to beat up his ex-girlfriend. When cops arrived, he led them on a high-speed chase in her stolen car. What is wrong with this guy? At this point in his life, Moncada was a father of three. He was sentenced to eight years in prison for this whole ordeal, which is where police would eventually find him in 2007 when his DNA matched the semen found in Jessica's case. Which is even crazier because he's pretty close to getting out right Mm -hmm. in early march 2007 knowing their suspect is already in prison police set out to try and get a statement from moncada about the case about a week before the prison interview with moncada police get a fresh dna sample from him just to confirm the results they already have and it it was it was his dna Police interview Moncada in prison where he's being held at Kern Valley State Prison. The interview started cordially, according to the Los Angeles Times, but when police asked about
about Jessica, everything changed. When asked specifically about Jessica McHenry, he denied involvement and asked to speak to an attorney terminating the interview. Because he knew that he was going to get out in a couple, in a few years. Yeah, he was like, oh, I'll talk to you about all these crimes I'm already in here for, but wait, why are you bringing Jessica Exactly, because he knows he's going to get put away for life. He claimed he didn't know Jessica, he didn't recognize her, but police couldn't help but notice that Moncada wouldn't stop staring at the photo of her they had placed on the mm -hmm. table. After the interview concludes, detectives notify Tammy Dunn that they had a match to the DNA in Jessica's case. Jessica's mother is relieved to know that Jessica's killer is already in prison, but is anxious about getting her day in court with him. Yeah. Her daughter deserves justice. It's important that Moncada be held responsible for Jessica's murder. On March 13th, 2007, the next day, around 12.45 a.m., now 35-year-old Derek Moncada is found dead inside of his jail oh, cell. Oh, gosh. He had hung himself, leaving behind a suicide note. It said, First and foremost, I would like to sincerely apologize to all of my family members who I have shamed. This incident, being my death, is not admitting guilt, but rather a way to prevent any further humiliation to the Moncada name. I have disgraced my family, for which I cannot accept. That's... That annoys me. Death. That, that whole thing annoys me. Me too. He signed it, death before dishonor. Derek D. Moncada. What a disgusting, disturbing, and dishonorable man. Just his ego was so big. He was so worried about people finding out he sexually assaulted and killed a little girl. Yeah. That Yeah. That's, that's, I know. that's disgusting. And might I say, Derek, if you can somehow hear this, just know... You have shamed your family. Your death was an admission of guilt in this case, and you did further humiliate the Moncada name and are still doing it to this day. So maybe you should have just taken accountability for your crimes uh -huh. when you had the chance. 100%. Some of Jessica's family are angered that her murderer took the easy way out and that questions would never be answered. Like, why? However, it would also avoid a very painful trial for them. That's true. As quoted in the Sydney Morning Herald, Nick said, the night that I found out he killed himself is the first night I fell asleep without thinking about something in 16 years. Yeah, because as well, I mean, it's not that just, I mean, they had they had DNA, they had evidence, right? right? So they knew he did it. So even though he hung himself, I mean, they couldn't go to court and everything, but they had that DNA. And I think that was a huge, I would assume it's a huge sigh of relief. Oh, 100%. To, to an extent, obviously. Nick adds to the statement that his biggest fear was that his sister's killer might still be out hurting others. Yes. So the fact that he had taken his life, or although, yeah, although hurtful, did help them sleep at night. After this, police held a press conference announcing that they finally found Jessica's killer. And when addressing the suicide, noted, quote, actions speak louder than words. They also mentioned that there was another case from around the same time where an unidentified female was beaten and set on fire. They will never know if it was Derek, but he was a very violent person and they had profiled that wow. he would reoffend. Many of Jessica's family members attended that press conference. This included Jessica's mom, 
mom, her grandparents, her brother Nick McHenry, who was now 28 in 2007, and her two younger siblings, now 18 and 19 in 2007, along with other friends and supporters. According to the Sydney Morning Herald, quote, they cried and embraced investigators who had tracked the case for nearly two decades. Every year since 1991, Jessica's family has gathered in June to mourn her loss. Beginning in 2007, with the killer being identified, the family made plans for June 9, 2007 to publicly have a celebration of her life. They were looking for her friends and teachers to join them. Jessica McHenry was buried at St. Michael's Cemetery in Livermore, Almeida County, California. On the day of the press conference, Jessica's family received the extremely disturbing news that Moncada, her killer, had been buried in the same cemetery as Jessica. What are the chances Only of that? 170 yards away. When Jessica's family learned of this outrage, they asked Oakland to move Moncada out of the cemetery. Jessica's family has found it more difficult to visit her grave because of this. Uh, can that even be done? Well, Tammy Dunn has filed numerous appeals with Oakland asking that his grave be removed. And it can be done. Okay. Usually, if a killer would never be buried... But according to Oakland, when they went to bury him, his family didn't say that the reason he had taken his own life was because one of his victims had been tied to him. So they didn't know. They had no idea. So when Tammy reached out, they said, oh, we wouldn't have buried him there if we had known. But they claimed that without permission from his family, they are unable to move his grave. They claim they have reached out, but they can't get a hold of family. Oh, to this day, Tammy has tried over and over again. So I think we as the public could also help by drawing attention to this yeah. case and hopefully making it possible for Tammy to be able to get his grave moved to because a different... Because they just don't want to. No, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. That's what's going on. But also, like, he murdered this girl. He exactly. shouldn't get to be buried near her. Yep. I looked to see if there was a petition or something we could do as murder with my husband listeners to try and get this moved but there was nothing i could find okay. so i think just bringing attention to the case might help nick her brother struggles to this day with what happened to jessica he says she was his best friend and knew no one who knew jessica would have done this to her she was too sweet and kind jessica mchenry is missed dearly and that is her story once again like every other week i People are just taken away and killed for just zero reason. Zero reason. And then... Zero good reason, I think, is maybe what should be said. And the, and the fact that this guy just went on to live life, kept abusing women, kept breaking the law, only to then go out with his head held high. Yeah. It's just disgusting. It's disgusting because what about Jessica? What about Jessica? She was a real person. She was kind. She had a bright future ahead of her. And she didn't get that chance because of him. So today we will think of Jessica. We will think of her family. And we will keep them in our thoughts and prayers. We will see you guys next week with another episode. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye. Ooh.